Hello, Mechanicsville Church family and anyone else who may be listening. Uh, this is the sermon for Sunday, uh, June the 14th. Uh, I hope if you're listening that you are having a, a good day, and I hope that this message will be an inspiration to you. If you listen to this before Sunday, uh, June the 14th, remember Sunday school will begin at 9 o'clock, uh, streaming on uh, the YouTube channel that belongs to um, Dwight, and also uh, they will be meeting in the pavilion, and then we will have the drive-in service at 1030. This is to help us accommodate with the heat this time of year, and we, this will be, uh, we will have two more services after the one on the 14th in the um, parking lot, and then we're going to transition, try to transition back into the building. Our scripture reading this morning, or today, is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. A little boy returned home after Sunday school class, and his mother asked, who was your teacher? And the little boy answered, I don't remember her name, but she must have been Jesus' grandmother because she couldn't talk about anyone else. Does our conversation reflect our love for Jesus? Would our words give away a relationship with him? A newspaper story told of an expert on the art of conversation who said that conversation is a dying art. 
He said that electronic entertainment such as television, videos, radio, and computers, cell phones are filling the time that we used to spend conversing. But perhaps the chief reason that conversation is dying is that we are poor listeners. And we are poor listeners because we are not very interested in other people. Today we approach the art of conversation not primarily as a means of entertainment, but as a means of witnessing about Jesus. Since Jesus is our example, we will study his conversation with a Samaritan woman who came to Jacob's well to draw water. Like the conversation with Nicodemus, this part of the encounter is described in the form of a dialogue with three exchanges. In the former instance, Nicodemus took the initiative because he had come to raise a sensitive issue with Jesus, whereas in this case, Jesus guided the discussion because he was the Jewish intruder into hostile Samaria. Jesus was sitting by a well resting, but allowed witnessing to interfere with his rest. He not only used his rest time, but also skipped his next meal to witness to a larger group. The distance being covered by Jesus on foot explains why he was wearied. With his journey upon reaching the well in the heat of a high noon, Jewish time was reckoned from sunrise to sunset. Thus, about the sixth hour would be near 12 o'clock, a most suggestive reference for the drama about to begin. In the first century, as today, women were accustomed to fetch water in the cool of the early morning and evening, never at midday. Was the woman whom Jesus encountered to, so disreputable that she sought to avoid the crowds that gathered around the well at other hours? He not only used his rest time, but also skipped his next meal to witness to a larger group. You see, Jesus initiated the conversation. In initiating the conversation with a Samaritan woman, Jesus combined simplicity with shock. Jesus was sitting by the well with no vessel for drawing water. When the woman came to the well with a water jar, he asked her for a drink. At first sight, this appears to have been a quite natural suggestion since he was hot, tired, and thirsty, as well as temporarily without the assistance of his disciples who had gone away into the city as the scripture teaches nearby to buy food. It might seem to us that ordinary courtesy would dictate an affirmative response to this appeal for help. That sounds simple enough. But it was a shocking thing for a Jewish man to ask a Samaritan woman for water. Jews refused to share food and water vessels with Samaritans for fear of ritual contamination. Jews would not drink from a cup that Samaritan lips had touched. Besides, a Jewish man would not even speak to any woman in a public place. So the conversation began with more shock than simplicity. A young man said to three Christian friends visiting in his home, I can't get over the shock. I just can't get over you guys going to all the trouble to come out here to talk to me tonight. Don't be afraid to initiate a conversation about Jesus. There will be some surprises. A man got on a plane and initiated conversation with a man about becoming a Christian. After he talked a few moments, he introduced himself by saying, I'm L.T. Sloan, a deacon in First Baptist Church, Lake Charles, Louisiana. The other man extended his hand warmly and said, I'm Harold Graves, president of the Golden Gate Theological Seminary. They both enjoyed relating this experience. Plan ways in advance to begin conversations with people. Plan for the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities and lead you to the best possible beginning. Second, Jesus kept the conversation interesting and understandable. A pastor listened to a lawyer witnessing to a parole officer. He used their mutuality as a basis for some of his illustrations. A pastor had a veterinarian as a visiting partner. 
A dog barked at them as they approached the home. The vet knew the dog's name because the dog had been to his animal clinic. This helped to begin the conversation with the owner of the dog. You naturally make conversation flow if you are interested in the other person. So often, as it is here, it is the nature of human beings to withhold, but it is always the nature of God to give. If only the woman knew who Jesus was, that he was an agent of heavenly generosity and not of Jewish narrowness. She would have asked him instead of being asked by him, and he would have given to her instead of having been refused by her, and the water that he provided her would be living or flowing in endless supply rather than only one drink such as she could provide from the well. As was the case with Nicodemus, the woman at first refused to explore the spiritual implication of Jesus' symbolic language because of its difficulties at the physical and literal level. She knew that Jacob's well was fed by an underground spring, which she assumed Jesus was referring to as living water. But this source lay at the bottom of a well or shaft that was deep. How could Jesus get to that living water far below since he had nothing to draw with? Just as Nicodemus questioned whether Jesus could provide a new birth to one who was old because of the difficulty of returning to the womb, so the woman was, well, was dubious of his ability to provide living water from the well because it was deep and he had nothing with which to draw. When the Samaritans, Samaritan woman did not at first understand Jesus' symbolic language about living water, he proceeded to tell her about drinking water that would quench her deepest thirst forever. She used Jesus' own previous words by saying, Give me this water. Of course, she still did not understand his symbols fully, but she was now eager for the conversation to continue. The third thing that Jesus did in this conversation was he made it relational. Jesus' interest in the woman led him to become more personal in the conversation. Jesus was not trying to chalk up a decision. He desired to help this disappointed, disillusioned woman find new life. He said, go, call your husband and come here. Jesus abruptly instructed her to call her husband. The motive for this request is not indicated. Some suppose that he was trying to overcome her self-centeredness by reminding her of her obligations to others. On this view, go call your husband means, don't you want your family to share in the discovery of living water? Others, however, hold that Jesus already knew of her sexual failures and was trying to expose the problem of unresolved guilt. On this view, his instructions were designed to breach her defenses and prompt a confession of sin. Suddenly confronted with the claim, which God's gift placed upon her, the woman sought to sidestep the issue by an evasive reply. I have no husband. As we shall see, in one sense, her answer was technically correct. Since she had been married to many husbands, but this does not alter the likelihood that she was deliberately attempting to be deceptive. In her immature ethic, truth was determined more by accuracy of words than by integrity of motive. The woman's negative evasion had exposed the deeper truth that her domestic life her home life was in shambles. If the woman was at first embarrassed by the suggestion, the compassion of Jesus reassured her. This was no mere man. He was not trying to exploit her, abuse her, or selfishly use her. He was trying to help her. When the woman said she had no husband, Jesus showed complete understanding, but also reminded her that he knew a lot more about her life and was still interested in helping her. The fourth thing we see in this conversation is Jesus did not allow the conversation to become a religious argument. 
The woman recognized that Jesus was leading into a conversation about her spiritual life, and she reminded him that she had a different religion. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, but our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Whereas the woman defined the problems of the present on the basis of traditional practices in the past, Jesus answered in terms of the promised potentialities of the future. The hour is coming. The worship of the new age would not be limited by any geographical center, whether this mountain or Jerusalem, but would be universal in scope. This does not mean that Jesus gave sweeping endorsement to religion in general, whether it might, wherever it might be found. He knew that many people, including Samaritans, sought to worship that which they did not clearly know, whereas his own people did worship on the basis of a unique revelation of God-given to Israel in its long history. Jesus has symbolized his freedom from prejudice on the Jewish side by offering a drink to drink from a Samaritan bucket. Now the woman was invited to overcome her Samaritan prejudices by acknowledging that her salvation could come from him, a Jew. Almost every witnessing conversation takes this turn at some point. You see, I'm a Catholic and you're a Protestant. Jesus did not compromise by endorsing her religion or criticize the Jews for their prejudice. He told her that worship was not limited to some geographical center, but worship is directed toward God, who is spirit, and those who worship him anywhere must do so in spirit and in truth. Whether the woman's reference to the Messiah was an effort at evasion or delay, we do not know. Jesus used it for the most significant word in the entire conversation. She said, I know Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. He said, I who speak to you am he. The Spirit of God gives boldness to follow through a witnessing conversation and leads to confession, conversion, and commitment. This absolute self-assertion by which Jesus identified himself shows how far he was willing to go to give this woman living water. Just as one need not be bound by the heritage of the past, so one need not wait for the hopes of the future. The total sweep of God's purpose, from the first patriarchs to the final Messiah, was concentrated in Jesus. Jesus changed everything. On the basis of her brief encounter with Jesus, the woman's witness upon reaching the city was superficial and tentative at best. Her initial testimony was not to the person of Jesus, but to her clairvoyance in discerning the secrets of her heart. Whether he was more than man, she could only guess. Her question is better translated, this one couldn't possibly be the Christ, could he? Nevertheless, discovery mingled with doubt did prompt others to see for themselves. However defective her witness, it brought the people out of the city to see Jesus. What a large harvest God can grow with a small seed. C.S. Lewis fell into grace. But instead of simply entering a monastery, he did worse. He ended up publicly explaining and openly defending his personal God to millions of listeners and readers. Such undignified behavior embarrassed the hierarchy at his college at Oxford and, Oxford and cost Lewis his chance of ever advancing to a higher position on the faculty there. Lewis learned that if you speak about beauty truth or goodness, and about God as a great spiritual force of some kind, people will remain friendly. But he found that the temperature drops when you discuss a God who gives 
definite commands, who does definite acts, who has definite ideas and character. Every interesting conversation does not have the dramatic and immediate results of Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. But there will be some like this one, and that will encourage us to prayerfully develop the art of witnessing. Sometimes the sower of the seed gathers in the harvest. Sometimes it germinates and grows and another will reap the harvest, but we keep on sowing. We rejoice that this woman not only believed Jesus herself, but became a sincere and able witness and bringing others to Jesus. And we should be willing to do the same. Shall we pray? Eternal God, into your presence we bow with thanksgiving in our hearts. Recognizing how far Jesus is willing to go, setting aside all prejudice, setting aside all the past, and recognizing that in him there is life. And he is willing for anyone to receive that gift. We're thankful for his love shown to us. We're thankful for his grace, for his patience, for his love shown so clearly in this woman at the well. May we, Father, be witnesses for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.